This morning we get to keep plugging away with our sermon series, Back to School 2017. We're journeying through these, these Sunday school stories that our little ones get to hear. And uh, we're, we're looking at them afresh from an, an adult perspective. And my hope is that we're um, encouraged by how good God is in these stories um, because he doesn't change and he is good to us today. And I hope that these stories, as we look at them, they're motivating us to trust him more fully with our, with our lives today. So um, today we're going to continue our look at Moses. We're going to be camped out in Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at Moses in the burning bush. So let's uh, pray. Pray with me, and then we'll, we'll jump right into it. Lord, we thank you for another morning to live. We thank you for the breath that you give us. Thank you for bringing us here together to worship you. Thank you for the reminder uh, that we received through the songs that we, we, we sang, that you love us, that you are great and mighty, that you can give us what we need to get through each day and not just to survive but to thrive. Um, Lord, I pray that the people here this morning that were hungry for you, that were hungry for your word, that we see the importance of taking it into our souls so that they can have the nourishment that they need to live the abundant life that you came to give us. And so, Lord, as we turn to Moses again and as we turn to your word, Lord, speak to us. Speak to us what is true. May we not be deceived. May we not uh, be sidetracked. May we not um, walk in the dark, but walk in your light. Speak what is true, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So let me read the passage that we're going to be focused on. It's Exodus 3, and um, it is verses 4 through 17. No, Exodus 3, 1 through 10. That's what I'll be reading. So let me read that to you. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the per Perizzites 
in the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So that's the passage. Um, and in this passage, we find Moses, he's in the desert, and he's shepherding his father-in-law's sheep. Now, if you were here last Sunday, you may recall how Moses got to this place. Remember, Moses, he grew up in Pharaoh's house, being raised by Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh was the king of Egypt. And so Moses most likely had access to the best education, the best food, and the best material items that the world had to offer living in the king of Egypt's household. Um, in fact, uh, he was probably on the fast track to some high-level, high-profile leadership position in Egypt. Um, last week, I mentioned how the ancient J Jewish historian Josephus uh, wrote that actually Moses was in line to become the next pharaoh, the next king. But somewhere along the line, Moses believed that God was calling him to deliver the Israelites from the Egyptians. The Egyptians were experiencing extreme oppression at the hand, or the Israelites were experiencing extreme oppression at the hands of the, uh, of the Egyptians. Now, Moses was accurate in, in that God was going to use him to deliver the Israelites, but Moses really miscalculated on how God was going to do it and the means by which God was going to use to rescue the Israelites out of Egypt. And so what Moses did is he ended up taking it upon himself to um, try and make this happen. He saw an Egyptian beating up an Israelite, and so he killed the Egyptian. And the reason he killed the Egyptian was because Moses believed that it would enable the Israelites to see him as their deliverer, and then they would rally around him. But of course, when we act out of God's outside, act out outside of uh, God's timing, and and don't use His means, it always backfires, and it backfired on Moses. And so, the Israelites they rejected Moses's leadership, and then Pharaoh found out what Moses had done. And then Pharaoh sought to kill Moses. And so Moses, he goes on the run. He flees Pharaoh's wrath by going to this place, Midian. And he's out in the desert in the wilderness and uh, running for his life. And then he meets the daughters of a guy named Jethro. And he ends up going to live with Jethro and not the Jethro of the Beverly Hillbillies. Just want to make that clear. Anytime I read that name, that's what I think of. And then he ended up being a shepherd over Jethro's flock, who became his father-in-law. And for 40 years, Moses is out in the desert in the middle of nowhere hanging out with sheep. I mean, it's really a from riches to rags story. You know, usually... The, the good stories go the other way, right? So this is the one that goes downhill. And 
it had to just be a very, very humbling process for Moses. And it had to be a painful process for Moses. You can imagine. Surely this was not part of his five-year plan. When he was hanging out in Pharaoh's household back in Egypt, he wasn't thinking, in five years, you know where I'm going to be? Surely not, right? He had to wonder also, would he survive the desert? Would he survive it? Could God potentially do any good out of the mess that Moses had made? Had God given up on him? I'm sure as the years turned into, you know, decades, there may have been that that wonder. Has God given up on me? But God was not done writing Moses' story. You see, God's plan for Moses was not to destroy Moses in the desert, but to refine Moses in the desert. God was there with them. He he was providing for Moses. Jethro is a a, proof of that. Jethro was a huge help to Moses. God got Moses through the desert. And so maybe you're here today, and, and, and you're sitting there, and you're going through a very humbling and painful life experience. And you're wondering if you're going to get through it. You're wondering if any good will come out of it. Maybe you made the mess. And so you're just wondering, like, all right, it just seems so irredeemable. And so maybe you're in that place. And that's a tough, hard place to be. And I think Moses' story communicates a very important truth to you this morning, that God is not finished with you yet. That's the first takeaway for you this morning. God is not finished with you yet. God isn't one to give up. God doesn't walk away when things get messy. He doesn't shrug his shoulders and walk away when we make mistakes or even when we turn away from him. God is not finished with you yet. Now, you may say, well, how do you know? You're still breathing. You're still here. If you're still breathing, God isn't finished with you. He hasn't finished writing your story. And like the bush in Moses' Moses's story that wasn't consumed by the fire, the fire is not going to consume you. God has brought you into the desert not to destroy you, but to refine you. You will get through this. We talk about this. It won't be painless. It won't be quick. But God is going to use this desert experience for your good and for the good of others. So don't be foolish. Don't be naive. But don't despair either. With God's help, you're going to get through this. He's going to provide a way. He will make a way at just the right time. The season you're in is just a chapter of your story. It's not the whole story. God is not finished with you yet. Isaiah 43, 1 through 3 says this. Now, this is God speaking to Israel, but it's so applicable to us, and I believe God wants this passage to wash over us this morning. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and who formed you, O Israel. And I believe God's saying this to you this morning. Fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. 
And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place. I believe these words need to get into our bones. They need to root themselves deep in our soul. Hear what this passage says. You are his. You are his. He is with you. And he gave something way more precious than Egypt and Ethiopia and Seba combined for your ransom. He gave his one and only begotten son. And if he gave his son to ransom you from your greatest enemy, from the greatest desert of sin and death, surely he's going to make a way for you in the desert that you're knee deep in right now. God isn't finished with you yet. He is holding on to you. Are you holding on to him? Are you holding on to him? Are you pursuing intimacy with Jesus, even if he doesn't feel too close beside you? Through prayer, through scripture reading, through being in community with other Christians, he's holding on to you. Are you holding on to him? God isn't finished with you yet. And secondly, your second takeaway this morning, God sees you. God sees you. The Israelites' oppression in Egypt was tremendous. It was great. I mean, it was, it was horrible. Uh, the, the Egyptians had murdered the Israelites' sons. They were causing the Israelites to work under just a ruthless workload They were slaves to the Egyptians. They were a piece of property to the Egyptians, not a human being. I mean, think of the Nazi regime. Think of the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia in the late 70s. That's what we're talking about here. I mean, this was intense. It it was a, a type of suffering that is something that you and I most likely will never experience. And in the Israelites' tremendous pain, the Israelites cried out for help. And God heard their cry. Exodus 3, 7 says this, and the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Now, I want you to pay attention to the intimacy by which God knows the Israelites in these verses. Let me read it to you again. I have surely seen the oppression. I have seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry, for I know their sorrows. God sees, he hears, he knows the sorrows and the cries of his people. God heard, knew, saw the cries of Moses while he was in the desert for 40 years. He saw, he heard, he knew the cry, the cries and the sorrow of the Israelites when they were oppressed in Egypt. 
There's this really sweet story in Genesis 16. You, you may be familiar with it, but it's the story of Abraham and Sarah, right? And we talked about Abraham several weeks ago, but Abraham was promised, him and Sarah, his wife, they were promised the son from God that would come from them. And as the years went on, uh, and no matter how hard Abraham and Sarah tried, there was still no child. And so Sarah has this idea, tells Moses, or not Moses, Abraham, hey, I want you to take our servant, sleep with her, and then that way we can have an heir uh, for us. And so um, Abraham does what his wife uh, tells him to do, and this servant named Hagar becomes pregnant. Now, even though it was Sarah's idea that that Abraham would do this, um, Sarah ends up despising Hagar and ends up just treating her very, very harshly, so harshly, in fact, that Hagar has to flee to the wilderness to escape the treatment that she was receiving from Sarah. And there she is in the wilderness, pregnant and all alone, and then the angel of the Lord appears to her and tells her this in Genesis 16:11. Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. Hagar's response was this in Genesis 16:13. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, I have I also here seen him who sees me. A little while back, I was experiencing uh, some challenges and some difficulty and feeling quite alone and discouraged. And I, and I remember needing to see God at work in the difficulty. I, I just needed to see him at work. I needed to see evidence that he hadn't forgotten about me, that I wasn't alone, that he saw me. And so I ended up reaching out to a friend um, who lives on the other side of the country, and uh, he's a really busy person, and he's always traveling all over the country doing consulting work. And, but I just felt led to, to reach out to him, and I was pretty unsure that I probably wouldn't be able to talk to him anytime soon. And uh, so I ended up texting him, and I got this response from him saying, it is so crazy that you texted me. I've been thinking about you so much in the last two to three weeks. I haven't seen this person or talked to this person for over a year. I, I've been thinking about you so much these last two to three weeks. I almost sent you an email on two different occasions. I'm so glad you texted me. Are you available to talk today? And it, was, it, it may seem so simple to you, but to me it was such a burning bush experience. Heaven and earth collided in that moment for me. And it was as if God was saying, Shane, I see you. I know the struggle you're going through. I see you. You are not alone. Even though I feel distant, I am working right now to provide for you in this trial that you are facing. And it totally changed my perspective on that experience because God saw my frustration. He saw my discouragement. He saw my sadness. He saw my loneliness. And because he saw me, 
he sent a friend to help me. And I was able to talk to this guy for quite some time on the phone. It was fantastic. Are you hurting? Are you struggling? Are you sorrowful this morning? God sees you, he hears you, and he knows your suffering, and he cares, and he is not a distant God. He may f- it may feel that way at some times, but he's there. He is with you. And so if you are in this place, if you're in the desert and, and you're filled with sorrow this morning, if you're sad this morning, if you feel lonely, if you're full of fear, and the what-ifs are really weighing you down, and the uncertainty of your situation just seems to be overwhelming, I encourage you to cry out to God with this request. And here it is. God, let me see you in this. God, let me see you in this. Give me evidence that you are with me, that you see me. Shane is telling me that the Bible says that you see me. Let me see you seeing me. Let me see you seeing me. Help me to know that you haven't left me or forsaken me. Open my eyes to see you at work in this mess. I need your encouragement. God isn't finished with you yet. God sees you. And thirdly and finally, God is calling you to be a Moses. You know, uh, God did not rescue Moses out of Egypt uh, when Pharaoh was trying to kill him so that Moses could enjoy a stress-free life of comfort out in the country, right? You know, that's, that wasn't God's plan for Moses. He rescued Moses from Pharaoh in Egypt so that he could send him back into Egypt to rescue others. Moses was saved to save. Moses was rescued to rescue. Moses was delivered to deliver. If your trust is in Jesus, you're like Moses in the sense that you've been rescued from Egypt. You have been rescued from the Egypt of sin, Satan, and death. Satan no longer has a grip on you. Sin no longer has power over you. Death can no longer destroy you. You are free. But God, he hasn't saved you in order for you to go and live and enjoy your own little life and your own little Christian bubble out in the country, secluded from everybody else, off the grid, so you don't have to deal with people anymore. It's not why he rescued you and saved you. Like Moses, he is calling you today back into Egypt. He has called you to rescue people from their own personal Egypts because we have people living and operating all around us every day who are still enslaved to Satan, sin, and death, which we know is a far greater tyrant and dictator than the pharaohs and the Hitlers of the world because that enemy, Satan, sin, and death, that Egypt leads not to just, it can lead to hard labor, malnutrition, physical death, but it doesn't always necessarily lead to that, but for sure it leads to eternal death and hell cut off from the goodness of God forever. And that's why it is a far greater 
dictator and tyrant than even the worst human tyrants we see here on earth. And so God has called you to rescue those who are lost in sin, who have just fallen into all kinds of destructive patterns and behaviors, the same patterns and behaviors that you were so lost in before Jesus extended his grace into your life. And maybe you're still in some of those patterns, but he's gradually freeing you from that. He has called called you to deliver people that have made a mess of their relationships, their marriage, their children, people that have been deeply wounded by the sin of others, and as a result, they're full of shame and guilt and fear and worry, people that are in bondage, people that are carrying heavy burdens. This is our calling. We are to labor with Jesus to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim that the Lord's favor has come. That's why God has rescued you. We are to be those of us who were once poor, broken, hearted, who were once captive, blind, and oppressed. We are to be wounded healers. That is our call. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I'll add Matthew 28, 19, and 20 to that. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. I think it's really important for us to neglect this calling. To be, Mo, to be a Moses, to be a little Moses in the place where God has planted us. In the busyness of life and caring for a family and going to work and taking care of a home, which are another aspect of our calling and a very important aspect of our calling. But it's those things that very easily can overshadow this other aspect of our calling that we are to be rescued rescuers. Delivered deliverers, saved savers. And I think if this is our call, then every single one of us in this room should have at least one other person that we are intentionally working for their freedom to bring them out of Egypt as we partner with Christ and his spirit. If, if each one of us doesn't have at least one other person, one other non-Christian that we're praying for their freedom, that we're intentionally figuring out how we can invite them into our life, spend time with them, serve them, talk to them about the Lord's favor that has come in Jesus Christ. What does that say about the church? What does that say about Christ's body? We're neglecting our call. Do you have such a person? If not... Would you commit to praying that God would reveal that person to you? And if you have a person in mind, 
The question then is, how are you going to be intentional in the next month? Don't even think about a whole year or multiple years. In the next month, how is God calling you to intentionally work for this person's rescue? I'd like to say it's not a matter of death, uh, life and death. You know, like it's, you know, we don't have to get too stressed out about it. But it is a matter of life and death. Right? God isn't finished with you yet. God sees you, and God is calling you to be a Moses. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, may we never lose the wonder that you have rescued us from great oppression, that we were once lost in the Egypt of sin and death, and Satan had a complete hold on us. But yet, you came into our Egypt, and you faced it squarely, and you took it upon yourself to break its chains over us, to break its power over us, to part the Red Seas. You, by your body and your blood, made a way for our exodus. Lord, I pray we wouldn't lose the wonder of all that, that it wouldn't just become so familiar to us that it becomes unfamiliar. And Lord, I pray that keeping the wonder of that and the gratitude that we, the gratitude of that, that it would so spur and motivate us to then work for the rescue of other people. And that that wouldn't get off our radar in the midst of the other things you have called us to do. That that wouldn't be put on the back burner. That this congregation would be your people mobilized to be your Moseses to the people that you've given them influence over. Lord, we love you. We can't thank you enough for who you are and what you do. Thank you that you see us, that you know us that you hear us when we're crying and in our sorrow. Thank you that you will make a way, that you will provide a way to get through our desert. Probably not around it, but you will take us through it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.